Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to The District, a podcast by The Spectator World about politics and culture. I'm your host, Amber Athey, the Washington editor of The Spectator, and I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. John Lott. He's an economist and a world-recognized expert on guns and crime. He is currently the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center and during the Trump administration served as the senior advisor for research and statistics in the DOJ. Dr. Lott, you have a new study out with the Crime Prevention Research Center that is really illuminating and, to me, surprising about just how often guns are actually used to stop mass shooting events and active active shooter situations. And you posit that the FBI is undercounting the number of active shootings that are stopped by civilians by about 30 percent. Can you walk us through the impetus for this study and what you found? Right. Well, as you mentioned, I was working in the Department of Justice up until January last year. And one of the tasks I had was to go and look at these active shooting reports from the FBI. Active shooting cases are instances where guns fired in public, not part of some other type of crime like a robbery or a gang fight over drug turf. It could be anything from one person being targeted and nobody being wounded even, all the way up to a mass public shooting. If you look at the FBI's data from 2014 to 2021, those eight years, they claim that there were 252 active shooting cases, of which just 11 were stopped by civilians legally carrying guns. When I was at the Department of Justice, I pointed out to them that they were missing lots of cases. At that time, I really just concentrated on mass public shootings that had been stopped. The, the FBI gets this from news stories. Police departments around the country don't collect this data. So they went and hired some academics at Texas State University to go and do Google news searches on news stories to try to collect these types of cases. They paid these people something like $66.9 million. Obviously, they went to other things other than just this. I've asked multiple times how much money they've spent on this, but they assume it's in the millions. But, uh, they haven't responded at all. And uh, so anyway, we looked at this and actually we found 11 times more cases than the FBI shows there. We find that there are 360 uh, active shooting events and 124 of those were stopped by legally armed civilians. I make, unlike the FBI numbers, I make no claim that we found all the cases. We to spend a few thousand dollars. We didn't have the millions of dollars to go and try to look at these types of cases. But And nobody needs to take my word for it. On our website at crimeresearch.org, we list these cases. We list links to the news stories so that people can double-check them themselves and make sure that they agree that we've gotten this right. And I think the most disappointing thing to me is 
there have been multiple times over the years that I've pointed out to the FBI that they've systematically missed cases because virtually all the cases they missed of these active shooting events were ones where civilians stopped these attacks. And they also misclassified some cases. There are five cases that were clearly civilians stopping these attacks that they classified as security guards. So, for example, you have the church shooting near Fort Worth in December 2019. A man came in with a shotgun, killed two people. But fortunately, there were lots of concealed care permit holders there at the church. While I was at the Department of Justice, I interviewed the man who fatally shot the murderer there. And he told me, look, the minister just said, look, if you have a concealed carry permit, you're allowed to bring it in, your gun. Uh, we'll just call you an honorary security guard here. And they didn't get paid. In fact, they didn't even keep track of how many permit holders there were that day. The, the man I talked to guessed that it was someplace between 18 and 20. So all I can say is this, that murder picked the wrong church to go into at that time. But I haven't been able to get the FBI to correct the missing cases over the years, and I haven't been able to get them to correct the ones that they've misclassified. Unfortunately, it's just not the FBI. The media also hasn't been interested in getting this correct. In July of this year, there was an attack at a mall, the Greenwood Mall near Indianapolis, Indiana, where a couple people were killed, a few people were killed. And what was unusual about that case was that it got news coverage that a young man had, who was legally carrying a gun had used it to fatally shoot the murderer and stop the attack. Almost immediately, though, within a day or some post or a couple of days for the Associated Press, they had news stories citing this research by Texas State University and the FBI claiming that, well, you know, it's true it happened in this case, but you have to understand how incredibly rare it is that civilians can go and stop these attacks. I reached out to the Associated Press reporter. I reached out to the Washington Post reporter. And the Associated Press reporter responded back. I sent him the work that I had done at the Department of Justice and the updated stuff. And nothing happened. So I reached out to him again a couple of weeks later, just asking why he hadn't run any corrections to the story. And he said there was no reason to do so because the quotes that he had had from those studies were had accurately reflected what those studies had found. And I told him that wasn't the issue to me. The issue was those studies were missing a huge number of cases. They were off by a factor of 11-fold in terms of the number of defensive gun uses. And he didn't need to take my word for it. He could just check them himself, but he wasn't interested in doing that. But here, here's the bottom line. The FBI over those eight years claims that 4% of active shooting cases were stopped by illegally armed civilians. Over those eight years, I show it's 34%. But more importantly, what I try to make clear in our report is I'm more confident about the numbers in recent years than earlier years. It's just much harder to find cases from long ago. And if you look at the data for 2021, 49% of the active shooting cases were stopped by legally armed civilians. And there's another point that I tried to make while I was at the Department of Justice, and that is you really have to differentiate between places where people are legally allowed to carry 
in those places where it's against the law to carry. You're talking about law-abiding citizens stopping these attacks. If, if it's against the law for them to go and carry in certain places, you really can't hold them responsible for not being available there with a gun to go and stop those attacks. And if you differentiate those, what you find is that almost 60% of the active shooting cases in places where they were allowed to carry in 2021 were stopped by citizens who were legally carrying guns. And so, you know, that's a, a long way from 4%. And then there's another thing. So, again, I, if you just take their definition, okay, it's 49% in the most recent year. But there's also this issue, which they don't agree with, about differentiating gun-free zones versus places where guns are banned. But there's another category that maybe one wants to include, and that is there are lots of attempted shootings that were stopped before the attacker was able to fire a gun because somebody with a concealed carry permit there was able to stop. There are 24 of those cases. I didn't include those in the totals that we have there. But if you do that, then you even got a lot higher percentages. You know, it's it's concerning. I've worked in the federal government in the 1980s. I was chief economist for the U.S. Sentencing Commission. And as I, as you mentioned, I worked there during the Trump administration. And it's really changed because obviously back in the 80s, the civil service was overwhelmingly Democrats. But if you point out errors in data to people, they would fix them. Not so now. You really get the impression, and I had people make comments to me, they're very politically driven on these types of things. And there's other war stories I could tell you from when I was in the Department of Justice. But, uh, you know, this affects lots of things. It just doesn't affect the news coverage. It also affects academic research, because academics, when they do research papers, go and use FBI data. And I, it's gotten to the point while I was there that I, even though I've been using FBI reports for almost 40 years now, I just can't trust a lot of the data that they put out on this. And you point out that the FBI was gathering a lot of their materials, or if not all of their materials, for their research on active shooter incidents from the media, which presents a huge problem in and of itself, because if the media refuses to cover an incident or only covers it very lightly because of their potential bias against individuals being allowed to legally own firearms, that makes it more difficult for these researchers who are hired by the FBI to find those incidents in the first place. Even if they were classifying them correctly, it's simply difficult for them to even compile everything if the media is who they're relying on for this data. No, that's exactly right. And, and But there's another point to make. Even if there's not explicit bias by the media, they have bias in other ways. I'll give you one example. We did an extensive report, Crime Prevention Research Center, last year on media coverage on defensive gun uses. We looked at coverage extensively for the entire United States for the first nine months of last year. Yeah, I'll just give you a simple example. If you, there was like 2,000 defensive gun use stories over that period of time. Most of those involved instances where the attacker was killed in the defensive gun use. About 42% of them involved cases where the attacker was wounded in the defensive gun use. Only 4% of the news stories 
involved instances where simple brandishing was enough to go and cause the criminal to stop the attack. But most of those were instances where the attacker was held at gunpoint until the police arrived. Here's the problem. There's been a lot of academic research on this stuff, and it's pretty clear to me that about 95% of the time, people use guns defensively. Simply brandishing is enough to go and stop the attack. But, you know, it's the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. So, for example, uh, let's say you're editor of a news bureau, and you have two stories that come across your desk. In one case, there's a dead body on the ground. In another case, let's say a woman's brandished a gun. The would-be attackers run away. No shots are fired. No dead body on the ground. You're not even completely sure what crime would have been committed. What news story would you run with? My guess is, overwhelmingly, you'd be running with the first news story of a dead body on the ground than the second one where you're not even sure what crime would have been committed. And in fact, in many of those cases where the crime wasn't actually committed, there's a good chance it wasn't even reported to police. We know from other research that less than half of violent crimes are reported to police, but it tends to be the most serious ones that are. So if, if no crime actually commits, there's actually an even higher likelihood that those particular cases aren't reported to police, which are these active shooting events. And uh, uh, so, you know, there are real problems with relying on this. And, you know, here we have the irony that the media is relying on the FBI, relying on media reports to go and document how frequently people use these cases. But uh, to directly deal with your point about what the media covers, we've collected in recent years over 70 cases where what police have said would have been a mass public shooting if it wasn't for the presence of somebody legally carrying a gun. These are very dramatic stories often. And I tell you, it's amazing how rarely these cases get news coverage, national news coverage, even and even local news coverage. You may only find one or two stories, which makes it likely that we maybe miss a lot of these cases. But, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples to stand out. Everybody knows about Parkland. But, you know, just months after that, also in Florida, not that far away from Parkland, there was an attack at an elementary school gathering. The gathering was in the park next to the school, had hundreds of students, had their parents, had their teachers. A man came up, started firing his gun. Fortunately, since it was in the park, there was a, a vendor there who had his permitted concealed handgun and used it to seriously wound the attacker and stop the attack. That got no national news coverage. Parkland was still getting national news coverage at the time of this. You would think, here's one school attack that ended much differently. Nobody was injured or killed except for the attack. You may remember the Pulse nightclub shooting. 49 people were killed. For a long time, it was by far the worst mass public shooting in U.S. history. Anyway, uh, seven days, exactly seven days after that, there was a similar attack at a nightclub in South Carolina. The attacker there had shot three people. He was shooting at a fourth person when that fourth person who had a permanent concealed handgun pulled it out and seriously wounded the attacker, ending the attack. What's the difference between Florida and South Carolina? Florida is one of 10 states that ban P-51 
people be able to carry permanent concealed handguns in establishments that got most of their revenue from alcohol. South Carolina was in one of the 40 states that allowed people to be able to go and carry in those types of facilities. Just one week after the Pulse nightclub attack, the Pulse nightclub attack was still getting massive national and international coverage. You would think people might be sensitive. The, the attacker at the Pulse nightclub still had something like 125 rounds of ammunition on him when he was stopped. It would have been a horrible bloodbath if it wasn't the, the person with the permanent concealed handgun. And yet you will search in vain for national news coverage on that, on that incident that's there. And so, you know, and I can give you lots of other cases, even in the few cases where the media does mention an attack where a, a civilian stopped it, they often get the story wrong. So I mentioned the, the case in Texas at the church. The media described that as a security guard initially. There's a case, remember the uh, Pittsburgh synagogue shoot a few years ago. Three days after that, there was an attack in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where a racist murder had gone into a Kroger grocery store and was killing blacks. And what got the national media attention on ABC, CBS, and others was a quote from the murderer there telling a customer, whites don't shoot whites. And it was played as this murderer assuring this white customer that since they were both whites, the white customer had nothing to worry about. The problem is, huh, they left out the first part of the quote. The entire quote was, please don't shoot me. Whites don't shoot whites. So rather than the murderer trying to assure the customer that the customer had nothing to worry about, the customer there had a permanent concealed handgun. It was pointing at the murderer, and the murderer was begging the customer not to shoot the murderer. The customer did shoot the murderer, did severely wound him. The murderer got into his car, drove about a mile down the road before he passed out, and that's where police were able to apprehend him. But the national media wanted to play this as just a white racist, whereas the actual story was more complicated than that because you had a white coming to the rescue of black customers there, putting his own life in danger in order to save black customers that were there. And yet, you know, uh, the national media just completely boxed the story. And there were people in the national media that I was able to text with at that time. And I said, you know, here are local news stories that have the entire quote. You may want to go back and fix the story that you have there. And there was no fixes to it. I'm reminded of the Sutherland Springs shooting as well in Texas, when an individual who was an NRA instructor had fired at the, the shooter as he was leaving. I believe it was a church. He wasn't leaving yet. He actually probably saved some lives. So obviously a lot of people were already killed or seriously wounded. And he got them, he got the attacker to leave sooner than he presumably otherwise would have left. Right. And in that case, I remember learning that he was an NRA instructor, which was after the national media had tried to blame the shooting on the NRA. And then they also failed to point out that while the gunman was using an AR-15 rifle, so was the man who then presumably saved lives in that scenario. And so it struck me as a really obvious instance of this type of bias that you're talking about. 
when you go back and look at the sum of your research and all of the things that you've uncovered and the course of this study, is there does it change or maybe confirm certain policy prescription that you see for these types of active shootings? Does it make stronger the case that civilians who may legally own firearms are an important factor in helping to stop these types of incidents? Well, look, these murderers themselves thinks that firearms with civilians are an important thing that stop their attacks. You just take their word for it. One thing that the media refuses to cover are the statements in their diaries or manifestos where they explain why they picked the targets that they did. So, for example, you look at the Buffalo grocery store murder from earlier this year. He, The media gave huge coverage to his manifesto, but it was extremely selective coverage. You know, so, for example, they wanted to paint him as a white right-wing racist. He was white and he was a racist, but he was an environmentalist who didn't like minorities because minorities had too many kids. And he described himself as a socialist. So, I mean, that I, I don't know about you, but that pretty much fits all the right-wingers that I know. They describe themselves <laughs> socialists and they're racist because they don't like people having too many kids, right? But anyway, one part that he spent a lot of time on was why he picked the target that he did. And right up there at the top is he wanted to go to a place where he knew his victims wouldn't have permanent concealed handguns. You know, because he, he said explicitly it would make it much more difficult for him to go and do the attack. On our website at crimeresearch.org, we've collected many of those types of cases over time. And, you know, time after time, you see these guys Look, anybody who's read their diaries knows, or, or their manifestos knows, these guys want to commit suicide, but they want to get media coverage. And they know the more people they kill, the more media coverage they can get. They feel unappreciated or what have you. And they know they want their name in the history books. They want people around the world to know who they are. And time after time, you'll see statements like, if I can only kill more people than such and such did, I can get even more media coverage, okay? Take somebody like the Sandy Hook murder. He had done what police described as essentially a doctoral dissertation, where he had looked at mass public shootings around the world over the previous 40 years and apparently graphed out the relationship between the number of people killed and the amount of media coverage that he got. According to one police report, he wanted to go and murder more people then the Norway killer, who shot to death 67 people, ignoring, uh, which is more than any mass public shooting in the United States, ignoring the bombing deaths that were there, because he wanted to get even more worldwide news coverage than the Norway killer had gotten. Well, you know, these guys are maybe crazy, but they're not stupid. Their goal is to kill as many people as possible, and they know if they go to a place where their victims are not able to defend themselves, they're going to be able to go and kill more people. So, you know, and the thing also you have to understand is if you put one police officer or one security guard to go and guard a grocery store like in Buffalo or to go and guard a school, they have an almost impossible task. If you have somebody there in uniform, it's kind of like having somebody there with, you know, a neon sign above them that says, shoot me first. 
Because if the killers know that they're the only person there that has a gun, they know that once they kill that person, they're going to have free reign to go after other people that are there. And so, you know, I'm not going to go and argue that we need to get rid of the First Amendment by any means. I'm not going to argue that we need to rewrite it in some way. But you don't need to go and get rid of the First Amendment to go and affect the media coverage that these people get. If you can make it them convinced that they're not going to be able to go and kill lots of people because somebody there with a gun is going to be able to stop them, uh, you know, you take away their goal, which is lots of media coverage. So if you're going to have a police officer there at a school, please, God, don't put them in uniform. Have them carry concealed. Have them have some other type of job as cover, like a PE coach or something, so that they blend in. It's not obvious that they're going to be the one person with a gun there, so somebody can't figure that out. But even better than that, I would have armed teachers and staff that are there just in general. We have 20 states that have armed teachers and staff. It varies. You know, some states like Utah and New Hampshire, any teacher with a concealed carry permit can carry. You have lots of other states from Texas and Oklahoma and Ohio where maybe 40% of the schools have armed teachers. You literally have thousands of armed teachers, schools with armed teachers. And yet, if you look since 2000, there has not been one single attack where anybody has been wounded or killed at any school where you have an armed teacher. Not one. All the attacks, every single one, has occurred at places where teachers and staff and everybody else is banned. All civilians are banned from being able to go and have guns there for protection. Uvalde was a case like that. There are other schools in Texas, which lots of them have armed teachers, not Uvalde. And, you know, rather than having a sign in front of schools like you had in Uvalde that say this is a gun-free zone, why not have a sign that says, warning, select teachers and staff at this school are carrying concealed handguns and will use them to go and protect the students and others here at the school? It's not rocket science. No, it's not. But unfortunately, I know we have an uphill battle to changing the national conversation on this. But Dr. Lott, I want to thank you so much for this amazing research. It is vitally important to understanding the gun debate in our country and just on an individual level, I think a lot of Americans who do own firearms are going to look at this and say, this is it. This is why I carry. Um, so thank you again for coming on this episode of the District, the Spectator Worlds podcast. And we look forward to seeing more of your research in the future. Well, thanks very much. Uh, just two fast things. One, people can find more of our research at our website at crimeresearch.org. Everything that we're talking about there, they can find at crimeresearch.org. The second thing I just want to add about the school shootings, you know, you look at the types of concerns people have about teachers or staff caring. They're worried they'll lose control of the gun. Somebody will be accidentally shot. Teachers will lose their temper and shoot people. All sorts of things. You go through the list. You cannot find one example of the types of fears of somebody accidentally shooting somebody else or something like that happening at any of the schools, the thousands of schools, many of them for many years, that have had armed teachers there. You'd think if, you know, if they're going to 
so much of the gun control debate is about what might possibly happen, but we don't need to guess here. We have huge amounts of experience here, but so much of the gun control debate is about what might possibly go wrong without actually looking at the data. Yeah. Welcome to the left's world, unfortunately. Thank you again, Dr. Lott, for coming on this, uh, this episode of The District. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com. Thank you.